ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Happy belated Father's Day to all the fathers. I totally forgot to do a shout out last weekend. I was so confused this year on when Father's Day was. I thought it was like the 13th and I freaked out because I was like, oh my God. And then I realized it was the 20th. I saw all the nice pictures of y'all with your daddies on Sunday. Some of y'all daddies is fine. And I'm going to just leave it at that. I'm just saying. I got eyes. I can see. I'm not saying I'm trying to holler at your daddy. I'm just saying. Some of y'all daddies look very nice. Especially the readers who are around like 20 or so and their dads are like 45 or so. I was like, hey, daddy, daddy. I could be your stepmom. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) You know who looks good out of the blue? And not to say he was ever an unattractive man. LeVar Burton. Yes, reading Rainbow. He's going to be on Jeopardy in July. I think he's hosting for a week. We talked about that. But he posted a promo picture for the Jeopardy announcement. And I was like, wait a minute. What in the Ronald Osley is happening here? Like, he looked great. He looked absolutely great. LeVar Burton is a happily married man. I want to say like 30 years. His wife's a makeup artist. Male grooming, I believe. But he don't need a lot. He has a nice beard. It's very full and fluffy. It's gray. He looks very nice. I ain't never in my life looked at LeVar Burton and been like, ooh. Even in his very young years. But 67 looks good on him. Go check out his Instagram. Take a look at LeVar Burton. Very nice. Very nice. I wanted to go see my own father for Father's Day. I was going to go home and surprise him. that I was asking him about his plans for Father's Day. And he was like, oh, I'm going to be in Mississippi. I said, oh, what you, what you going down to Mississippi for? And he's like, oh, I just got some things to take care of. But I talked to him the other day. He was down at my cousin's house. And my cousin has this massive amount of land in Alabama. And he's building what sounds like, when my dad describes it, like a compound. There's a lake involved. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, he has like a deer lodge on the lake. And then I talked to him on Father's Day. And I was like, well, you know, you got big plans for the day? And he was telling me about they went to some place that has this like amazing fried fish. So he was going to get some fish and then he was going to drive out to Collins and he and Mr. Jimmy were going to go down to the lake because my dad has his own lake at his family land in Mississippi, Lake Lucas. But he said he and Mr. Jimmy, they were going to go out to the lake on some four wheelers. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? My father's about to be 80 years old. Talking about he riding a four wheeler down to his lake. Okay. I told you about the time. I, don't, I didn't have a podcast then. This was 2018. Remember like my adult leap year? And I just went like bopping all over like cities and continents for like a whole year. One of those bopping adventures was going to Mississippi with my dad. And I drove a four-wheeler for the first time to go down to the lake. I'd never seen the lake. And my father was like, you should see the lake. It's going to be your lake someday. So I was like, all right, well, let's go see this lake. And I'm thinking like we could just, you know, walk down to the lake. And he was like, no, we're going to take a four-wheeler. And I was like, what? Again, what? I'm sorry, sirs, father, Mr. Jimmy. I've never driven a four-wheeler. And he was like, you could drive a car. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right, you drive a four-wheeler, let's go. And I was like, no, 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 no. I feel like this is slightly different than driving a car because this is, this is something I've never driven before. And now we're going to drive it out to wherever this lake is. Like, we're going into the forest and whatnot. I don't think this is the best idea that we've had today. And Mr. Jimmy was like, ain't nothing to it, girl. You put it in gear and you go. Mr. Jimmy was giving me driving instructions, but that's a life lesson. I think about him in that quote very often. Like, ain't nothing to it. You just put it in gear and you go. 
essentially Nike, just do it. Okay. I like Mr. Jimmy's version better. But that was, that was an amazing trip. I could do a whole podcast about that crazy-ass trip. But that's where my father is right now as I'm recording. My father is somewhere in Mississippi on a four-wheeler at like 80. I'm actually going to go home in July. My father is doing a big birthday party. He told me about it. And then he specifically sent me an invite. And I was like, I just assumed I was invited. And he was like, well, you know, I don't like to make assumptions. I was like, um, okay. And he was like, are you coming? I was like, yes, I, I will be there. And he was like, okay, we're looking forward to it. This should be interesting. Um, what else is going on? I went to a cast party or a rap party. That's what they call them. A rap party for All-American. You know how I feel about All-American and them crazy-ass kids. But sometimes actors, especially like black folks, are so good, you don't realize. Let me speak for myself. I don't always realize the depth of their acting. I'm just like, oh, they found some people with about this disposition and they put them in front of cameras and they're reciting lines for characters that are very close to their natural disposition. I only do it when the acting's really good. All American, like it's one of those shows I think about. But I went to the rap party and like most of the cast was there. I would say like 90%. Spencer, the actor that plays Spencer, he wasn't there. But the guy that Spencer's based on, he was there. I met him and his wife. Very nice couple. Tay Diggs wasn't there. Cuddy. Don't ask me what Cuddy's real name is. Cuddy from The Wire. He wasn't there. But everybody else, the rest of the cast, were all there. I hung out with my cousin. I hadn't seen her, I want to say, like, since early in the pandemic. And when I first moved into my current apartment last July, she came by. And I think that was the last time I saw her. Mm. Cousin. If you've seen the California tourism commercials, it's a really cute black girl with like a bunch of curly hair. And she's talking about like the if in California. And at some point she's like snowing in the mountains and she's like, boom, that's my cousin. I love that chick. She calls me daughter. I call her mom. It's a really weird relationship. She's the adult when we hang out together, which always involves tequila, which did that night too. And I was like, yo, I got shit to do in the morning. I can't have a hangover. And she's like, let's take shots. Girl. I didn't take shots. We drank margaritas instead, and then I ended up sipping Casamigos straight because she was the driver. And I'm in a room with, you know, the vast majority of people are like in their late 20s. And it was super fun until folks got like drunk and started to act very 20 something. And so I sat at the bar and drank tequila while my cousin twirled around, literally. <laughs> oh, this is the other thing I wanted to say. I. I had an appreciation for being in the room and, and, you know, meeting the cast of like one of my favorite shows. But also, I just I really appreciated being in a room full of employed black creatives. Most of them are not from California. They moved from everywhere else. But like just being in a room full of like black creatives who are in Hollywood and are getting good checks and have a number one show on UPN or just sort of and just living out their dream. Like it felt warm and fuzzy inside. One of my cousin's besties is the actress who plays Simone on All American or Khadijah on Snowfall. She invited us and she's just like the sweetest thing. But I was just like, I felt very like proud. Was that a weird feeling? I just felt like just very proud to be like, I don't know, of seeing so many people living out their dreams. And then also celebrating and getting wasted. It was great. So much going on. I'm taping on Monday in the middle of the day. I'm sitting here in a full face of makeup. I had an activation for Essence and Pantene earlier today. It was literally all of 15 minutes for the shoot, but it took hours, you know, for these Zoom calls. I got to clean the whole loft because everything is, you know, 
open. I spent all day yesterday twisting my hair, and then the makeup artist came, and then I had to figure out what to wear, which means I pulled everything out of my closet and landed on like the second outfit I chose as opposed to like the tenth, whatever. And then I had to clean it all up before the Zoom call, because again, open layout. But that's, um, that's an activation for Essence Music Festival, so I'll be able to share the video with you sooner than later. Congratulations to Shikari Richardson. She's going to Tokyo. She was number one um, in, I want to say, the 100 meters at the Olympic trials yesterday. And she is currently the fastest woman in America. She's adorable. She's 21. She's all of, like, I want to say 5'1". I watched the video of her race, which was all of, what, like 10 seconds? She has very Flojo energy. She has, like, the flowing hair. Her hair is orange. And she has the long nails. Face full of makeup while she ran with the big lashes. It's a cute girl. She got a bunch of tats. She got two nose rings. And she is going to Tokyo. I'm super, super happy for her. I read that her biological mother passed last week. And I was like, ooh, girl. And you still went out and ran and won. I was like, girl, may God bless you. I saw another video where she was running. She was running into the stands to, to get to her grandmother after the race. And she's very gracious. She's, you know, touching as many people as possible. But she was focused on getting to her grandma. She got to her. Oh, my God, I'm tearing up just talking about it. Holly Robinson Pete posted the video on her page if you hadn't seen it. But she got to her grandmother and just lost it. She did everything but crawl in grandma's lap. Like, it was, it was amazing. She was laying all over her, just like sobbing into the bosom, which I was like, look, a good bosom will just do you good sometimes. She was just crying. And her grandmother reached down and lifted her head and kissed her on the forehead. And I just lost it, too. It was just it was such a beautiful moment. It's just like you could tell, like, um, you know, she's going through a lot. Your mom dying will do that to you. But I'm just I'm super happy for this young woman. I was happy when I saw the video and she won and the announcer was like, she's going to Tokyo. And I was like, yay, black girl. And to be honest, when I saw the lineup of the video, everybody in the trials to me, everyone in the trials looked black. So I was like, oh, may the best person win. Because, you know, I'm just rooting for the black person either way. And I'm like, oh, and they're all American. Like, you know, may the best person win, whatever. But then she won and I was like, yay, black girl. And then the grandmother thing. And I was like, oh, no, now we're rooting for the black girl. It's not just gay black girl. Like, it's, it's all out. Shikari versus everybody. Ugh, that video messed me up. Ugh, I miss my grandmother. What other good news? Oh, shout out to my friend. Tawisha Rogers Simpson. She is the vice president of brand and partnerships at the National Museum of African American Music in Nashville. Now, the museum opened earlier this year in the middle of COVID, but they just had their first very big gala. And Tawisha and I have talked about this gala 50 million times. I feel like I planned it with her. And not because I had any input. It's just, you know, listening to a friend who's like, you know, I need this and I need this and I need this. Like, if you've ever put on a very big event, um, it's just stressful. And there's 50 million steps that go into it. I very much wished I could be there. She invited me, but I couldn't leave L.A. Because I've just got so much work stuff on my plate. And I just, I wouldn't have been able to go and, and be effective or enjoy myself or any of that. I saw Bevy was there. Bevy Smith, John Murray. PR Phenom, Sarita Oglesby. Some other folks were there, but they posted tons of pictures. It looked like a really, really beautiful event. So congratulations to my tuition. I'm very, very proud of you. Congratulations to Nick Cannon. 
On Father's Day, he announced that a woman is pregnant with his seventh child. She looks to be due soon. She looked at least seven months pregnant. This is, this is Cannon's fourth child in a year. I swear the announcement about his second set of twins came out, I'm going to say six weeks ago, and that's being generous. I think it's more like two or three weeks. But there was a very recent announcement that another woman had given birth to his second set of twins. And then on Father's Day, he posted a picture with a new woman who was currently pregnant, announcing that he will be a father yet again. A woman could never get away with no shit like this. And obviously, like, a woman can't, you know, have multiple pregnancies carried to term, at least, you know, in the same year. Nick, I just... We've we've talked about Nick Cannon before. I'm not going to belabor the point. I have nothing new to add other than, like, I wish women could get away with the shit men do. And I don't mean by, you know, having multiple children by multiple men in the same year. Not possible. Um, I mean, more than two. But just, like, he's having all of these children by all of these women. So clearly sex and clearly, you know, unprotected sex. I think about the way folks go after, say, like, a Lori Harvey who doesn't have any children, who is, what, 24, maybe? She's been seen with a bunch of different people. Was she dating them? Was she doing photo ops? Like, who knows? But she gets so much flack just for dating. Whereas Nick Cannon has, like, seven kids with, what, four or five women? And people are like, well, you know, he can afford it, so... I was like, no, Nick Cannon's community dick. A woman with seven children by four or five men is getting called all kinds of hoes off the top. Nick Cannon? I ain't heard nobody call him a hoe yet. But Mr. Cannon's activities, I've seen this in a couple places. They've, he has reignited a conversation about men and vasectomies and, and male birth control. Technically, a woman can get pregnant multiple times in a year. I'm thinking in the case of three or more, and I'm thinking of cases like a miscarriage. But to carry a kid to term, you could really only do that once a year. I mean, you could technically like deliver in January and then deliver again by like November or December. That's possible. But that's really like the most the woman can do. So maybe you could have two kids by two different dudes in the same year. That's possible. It's not unheard of. It's happened. But men can, like, impregnate multiple women in one day, every day, for an entire year, if they so choose. And, you know, biology works in their favor, quote-unquote favor, which is subjective. And yet, birth control is so heavily aimed at women. And when I say birth control, I'm thinking of, like, you know, pills or shots or IUDs or something like that. But men need something more than condoms. Because clearly people aren't using them, quote-unquote, like they should, which is, again, subjective. Because I was like, men need something. I saw the other day on Facebook, this guy finished paying his child support and he dressed up in a cap and gown and he had a little fake diploma made up congratulating him for being finished with child support. And then in the comment section of the post, somebody who knew him, I guess one of the children's mothers, was like, you paid $66 every two weeks. Are you serious right now? It's like, yikes. So many men complain about child support or they complain that they were trapped, like she got pregnant, but he didn't want a kid. Men don't have rights when it comes to fatherhood. But I was like, y'all need, y'all need some form of birth control. I wouldn't trust no dude to take it. But men definitely do need some form of birth control because condoms ain't getting it. Apparently, like everyone just wants to go raw. Diseases be damned. Pregnancy be damned. 
But I was like, I need something preventative. Like a vasectomy, which is reversible. I think it could be great. Like, you know how you get a circumcision at birth? You get a vasectomy at birth as well. Is that possible? I mean, if you can cut off like the head of a dick, like I don't understand why you can't just, you know, do a little snip snip on the inside too. You're already down there. And then like, you know, later in life when they decide, you know what, I would like to have children. They can go and get it reversed. It could be free. It would solve a lot of child support issues. You could never accuse nobody of trapping you. And you couldn't just be out here willy-nilly impregnating people. It's really like, you know, the best for all involved, I think. I'm just saying. Speaking of birth control, in the same arena, but not the same thing. Have you been following this beef with President Biden? I don't think I've ever said that before. I used to call him like Old Joe or Grandpa Joe. But President Biden, he has beef, or better, the Catholic Church has beef with him because they say he is pro-abortion, which pro-abortion is one of those phrases, much like the word female, that always like triggers me. I always feel like I have to speak up and be like, hey, hey, it's not female, it's woman. It's not pro-abortion. Nobody's pro-abortion. Nobody's sitting around thinking like, ooh, I hope there are more abortions today. Like that's, that's not how it works. People are pro, pro-choice, a woman having a choice as to whether she has a baby or not. She knows her life, she knows her body, her finances, and all the things that go into, you know, raising a child. Sorry, no, actually not sorry. That's just one of my soapbox things. But the Catholic Church is mad at Biden, and they say he is pro-abortion, which he's pro-choice. But they're so mad that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops last week They voted to, I mean, the formal language is they voted to proceed with drafting a statement. Essentially, what they're trying to get to is that politicians, including the president, should not be allowed to take communion if they're pro-choice. And and they voted on this. I'm sorry, I don't have the, um, I don't have the numbers in my notes today, but I want to say it was like three to one. It was overwhelmingly in favor of essentially weaponizing communion. They're going to deny Catholics communion, which is a pretty important part of, you know, the ritual of being Catholic. They have several, but that's a pretty important part of it. They want to deny them communion for being pro-life. Do I have to explain why that's crazy? I don't think so. I hope not. But sometimes I'm surprised at the things that have to be explained. I wrote on Instagram the other day, oh, because I'm banned from Facebook once again. Like, I was banned last week, and then I got banned again this week. And I'll tell you why in a second. But there was this picture circulating of Kamala Harris at a formal dining table in what, at first glance, would look like a whole bunch of white women. There was actually two Asian women also in the picture. The first time I saw the picture, it was a Hotep-esque type dude, and he was raging Because he was like, see, y'all voted for her and she doesn't support black women. These are her friends. Where are the AKAs? She bamboozled y'all all. And I was looking at the picture and was like, is that Elizabeth Warren? So then I did just literally a quick Google search. Kamala Harris at lunch. And as it would turn out, there were multiple stories on multiple news sites of this brunch. It was a brunch for women of the Senate. Most of the women in the Senate, I think there was one who didn't make it, attended the brunch. So folks who were mad, they were like, why are there no black women at the table? Well, 
because there are no black women in the Senate. I was like, one, people can't recognize any U.S. senators. Elizabeth Warren's face stood out to me because Elizabeth Warren was a presidential candidate and her face was everywhere for about a year. And to be honest, I could not identify all of the senators at the table, but I was like, wait, that's so-and-so. Wait, that's so-and-so. Wait, that's so-and-so. Like, a lot of people don't know what the U.S. senators look like, even their own senator. A lot of people also don't know the difference between a U.S. senator and a state senator. Because when I wrote my little piece on Instagram explaining the photo, like, hey, Kamala Harris didn't have a whites-only brunch at a plantation. That was some of the rhetoric that was circulating around Facebook. Pause. I don't know how these types of people got onto my Facebook page. Like, I have a very curated private page. Or maybe it's like friends of my friends. Maybe that's whose feed I'm seeing. Which I was like, my friends follow crazies? But, okay. I say in this post that, you know, this is what it is. It was a brunch. It's an annual brunch for women of the Senate. And Kamala Harris, who as the vice president presides over the Senate, had the women come to brunch. Not at a plantation, but at the U.S. Naval Observatory, which is her home. It's the home of the vice president. And there were people in the comments who were like, but so-and-so is a black female senator in XYZ state. Why isn't she there? Because state senators and U.S. senators are two entirely different jobs. We, we need to require civics classes for adults. Because the people who don't know the difference between a U.S. senator and a state senator or people who can look at a room full of female senators and not, being, and not be able to ID not even one of them are also people who are voting in elections. I was so mad at the Internet about that. But I was like, yo, people really just be misinformed, woefully, proudly, and spreading it around. Like an STD. Or sexually transmitted infection. I guess that's the, the PC word for it now. I was like, this is wildness. This is crazy. Anyway. In other news, Kevin Hart, he has an amazing new film out called Fatherhood. I posted online that it was a really great film. And it, you know, it was a must watch. And, you know, I recommend or review films or TV shows from time to time. And there's one that I admit that I got wrong. People don't really call me out for that one, but I liked it. A lot of people didn't. I write this review of Fatherhood, and I was like, it's a really good film. If you haven't watched it, I won't give anything away. I do think you should watch it. I've watched it twice. I cried both times because I just think it's a great story with great acting, and everyone understood the assignment. Like, it was it was good. But some folks were mad at me um, for liking the film, because they were like, you shouldn't support Kevin Hart because Kevin Hart is trash. I'm not the biggest Kevin Hart fan. This film did make me feel more warm toward him, which was completely intentional. I never really found Kevin Hart all that funny. My father thinks Kevin Hart is, is hilarious. I may have talked about this. I've only been to the movies as an adult twice with my dad. The first time was in 2018, so I was like 37, 38, and my dad said, you want to go to the movies? And my dad never goes to the movies. It's some ish that goes back to his childhood. I was like, you want to go to the movies? And he was like, yeah. 
I want to see the little guy. I said, the little guy? I think he's talking about a child. He said, the little guy, he's so funny. The little guy, he's in a car. And I was like, you want to see Kevin Hart in Ride Along? And he was like, yeah, check the times. I want to go to the movies. Like I said, I'd never been in movies with my dad. So I was like, all right, sure, let's, let's go to the movies. And we went to the movies and my father just chuckled the whole time. And my, it's interesting, too, because my dad is, um, he's like, you know, a, a mellow older man. He doesn't use too much profanity. He doesn't like crass language. This is very, very different from the man I grew up with. Here he is today, nonetheless. He, he loved it. As much as I stopped caring for Kevin Hart, particularly after that documentary on Netflix, which was also supposed to be, I think, redemption for him. You remember he had that blow up with the Oscars? I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was like some bitterly homophobic shit. And I was like, good Lord. And then he refused to apologize for it. He stepped down from hosting the Oscars before they could fire him. Then he got caught cheating on his pregnant wife. But it was just a PR mess. And so he was getting a lot of backlash. And then he releases this documentary. And I think the documentary was supposed to like clean him up and make him look like a a well-rounded person. Like his wife was in the documentary. And she said some crazy shit. Like him cheating made their marriage better. Something bizarre. And I was just like, bruh. And then he was like a straight up asshole to one of his friends. Some truly like awful shit. And after that, I was like, oh, I'm done with Kevin Hart. I kept a small, small window of love for him because of the bonding situation with me and my dad. That's small, small. I mean like 2%. In what I wrote about Kevin Hart, I wrote something like, there is grace for those that seek it. And people were like, is he asking for grace? Has he atoned for what he did? Or did he just, you know, make a good movie? And I would argue that they're kind of one in the same. Part of what makes fatherhood work is Kevin Hart has a particular brand of comedy in which he's the really loud dude who doesn't know what he's talking about. As he played in in Ride Along, he's always getting into trouble, doing something that he shouldn't be doing, loud and wrong. That's, That's his brand of humor. And in fatherhood, I promise you I'm not giving the movie away. Kevin Hart has to raise a child as a single father. And in the film, they talk about a couple instances where he made bad choices. But everyone knows who Kevin Hart is. Everyone knows Kevin Hart's brand of comedy. Part of why this film works so well is that you're expecting Kevin Hart to show up in his brand of comedy that he always does. And he doesn't. He actually rises to the occasion and he shows himself to be responsible and capable and compassionate and patient and a really good, caring, nurturing, wonderful human being. It's a deliberate choice to do this film, which, by the way, is produced by the Obamas production company Higher Ground. I do think that this film was a very intentional choice to rehab his image. Does it mean he's a better person? No. Does it mean that he's actively trying to rehab his image? Yes. And I think doing this film was very effective. The Guardian did not, did not think so. They reviewed the film and they gave it two stars. They called Kevin's choice for this film calculated, which it was. They made a list of the terrible things that Kevin Hart had done or said and why his image would need rehabbing. And The Guardian points out that, quote, That Hart would want to be portrayed as a kind, patient man at this particular juncture of his career makes sense. And his possible ulterior motives don't even feel all that intrusive 
on the agreeably low-key melodrama, referring to the film. He said, until you get the behind-the-scenes context that crosses the line from canny casting to manipulation. Speaking of canny casting, this film was originally based on Two Kisses for Maddie, a memoir of loss and love. And that book was written by a white father and the screenplay for that book was written for a white family. If you watched the film and you were like, wait, they're all from Minnesota? Yeah. Not to say Minnesota doesn't have black people. We learned sometime last year that, oh yes, they do in fact. I feel like a black person writing a screenplay, unless you're actually from Minnesota, it's just not a setting that you're going to put black people in. Houston, Detroit, anywhere in the South, Minnesota? That was my giveaway. And I was like, oh, I don't think this film was written for a black person. I mean, I'm glad there were black people in it. But The Guardian was very unimpressed. But here's why I got banned from Facebook. So I was reading some of the comments. And one of the women said something like, I can't believe that you're caping for Kevin Hart. Which I was like, am I caping for Kevin Hart because I like his film? Or acknowledge Grace? I don't expect much more. Because this is the same woman who played Mammy to her ex-boyfriend who called her to talk about a white woman. And I was like, did I play Mammy to him? I mean, like, yeah, I didn't hang up on him. I feel like in that same call, like, I told him what the issue was. You're not dating a black woman, but you're using a black woman for her emotional labor because your white chick can't relate. Like, I said all that to him. But I was like, am I mammying him for, like, not being mean to him? In the Facebook post that got me banned, I was like, I really wish sometimes that folks would, like, decide what my public perception is because depending on the day like I'm a bitter black woman who hates men because people write into me about that shit like all the time like you never talk about black men you don't promote black men I'm like well one I'm not black men's publicist they can promote themselves I make a deliberate choice to center black women in my work because there are not a lot of places that center black women and I think we deserve to be that's intentional but On the flip side of that, like I can be told on one day that like you're a bitter black woman who hates men. And then literally the following day, they'll be like, you're a pick me mammy bitch who like caters to men. And it happens anytime that I'm not hating on a black man. If that sounds weird. On last week's podcast, I spoke about my friend who was, I can't even say dating because all they did was have a couple phone calls. But she was talking literally to a guy who told her to get rid of her dog. A couple guys slid into my DMs and was like, yo, there's more to the dog thing than just insecurity or feeling threatened by the dog or control issues. Here are some of the issues that may have, that might come up with dating a woman with a dog. And I shared what the guy said. And I was like, you know, there's some validity. Like the dog in the room watching you have sex, the dog sleeping in the bed. I would be turned off by that too. Like, so I kind of get like where some of the guys are coming from. And again, all of the guys said asking someone to get rid of their dog is batshit. But because I didn't wholeheartedly side with a woman's perspective, I got like, you know, pick me, always choosing men, blah, blah, blah. It's just very, what's the word? Frustrating, I guess. Like being like a consistent man-hating bitch is is one thing. And being consistently perceived as like a pick-me bitch is a whole nother thing. But I was like, can y'all just decide on like which one y'all want me to be? Because you can't be both. They're they're diametrically opposed. So just like pick and just let me know. And if you really want to know whose side I'm on, I'm on the side of logic and common sense. Like if it makes logical sense to me, then that's pretty much what I'm going with. No matter who does it, a man or a woman, just FYI. 
But I wrote about that on Facebook and I said, you know, like, you know, can you choose between like, am I a pick me bitch or am I like a man hating bitch? Like I just, which one, which one am I? Like, I don't know. And when I write, I don't write out curse words. I always put an asterisk or a dash or something like that. So it wasn't the profanity that got me blocked. I think it was literally writing man hating. So I'm banned from Facebook until Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. I was going to say something else about fatherhood. Mm, the importance of representation. And I don't always think about it, but in this case I did. I greatly appreciated that brown skin Kevin Hart in this film had a brown skinned wife in this film, and then they had a brown baby, a visibly brown chocolate drop baby, like the same complexion, which I think Kevin Hart and his wife were about the same complexion. But a black baby from a black family actually looked like it came from the two parents that were portrayed on screen. And I say that just because, you know, you know, because very often on TV, you'll have like two visibly black parents and then they have like this mixed looking baby. And you just be like, I mean, the baby's cute, but like, where does baby come from? Not from these people. I mean, genetically, anything's possible. You know how black folk DNA works, but still, it's just like the mixed kid of two black parents is like really popular casting. So I really appreciated that like the brownness of everyone in this film, like brown Kevin, his wife, baby Maddie, Kevin's mom, Kevin's in-laws, some other brown people, trying not to give the story away. I appreciated very much the brownness of the film. I think it's a great film. I think it's a great story, well told. But I also think, you know, representation matters. High in the heights. And the casting of very brown people it was an A film to begin with, but I feel like the casting of a bunch of brown folks put a little plus on it. It was very much appreciated. Last but not least, we have two things we're supposed to talk about this week. I said we were going to talk about that essay with Chimanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, we will get to it. It's just a saga to talk about. But I do want to talk about the Michael Costello saga. I'm like, where does it end? And I'm going to give you the short version because, my God, this is like the never-ending story. <sighs> where do I begin with this? Chrissy Teigen said some foul shit to a teenager 10 years ago. She said terrible things publicly, but she also was in the girl's DMs telling her to die. That's some cunty shit. The internet turns on Chrissy. Many major publications write long, long stories about Chrissy Teigen acting an ass on Twitter. Chrissy deactivates her account. We talked about this. I thought the story was over. Michael Costello pops up on Instagram one day and he says, for many years, I've been depressed. I've been having suicidal ideations and it's because of Chrissy Teigen. There was a rumor that Michael Costello had used the N-word. Chrissy Teigen found out about it and she started saying, this is Michael Costello's version now. She started saying terrible things about him. His version is that she slid in his DMs. I want to say she might have told him to die too. Costello says that Tegan was going around telling her celebrity friends, celebrity stylists, um, that he was using the N-word and that he was blackballed in the industry. And he posted some screenshots of DMs that Chrissy Teigen had sent to him. So people... Hear Michael Costello's story. They say, oh my God, Chrissy Teigen is the absolute fucking worst. And then Leona Lewis. Remember her? I haven't heard anything from her in years. She's British. She was supposed to be the British Mariah Carey. I don't, I have not followed her career. She might be. 
I, I genuinely have no idea. But Michael Costello jumps out. Leon Lewis immediately was just like, yeah, about your sympathy for Michael Costello, you should know this about him. She tells this story how like back in 2014, she was supposed to walk the runway at a celebrity charity event. And Michael Costello was supposed to design her dress. And she said in the early conversations, he and his team were very enthusiastic. She was in the UK. She got on a plane. She flew over. And she was like, I am excited to be here to have Michael Costello dress me. She says they didn't have anything in her size. Apparently, she didn't fit the sample size. And once they saw her, they were unwilling to either restructure a dress to fit her or make her a whole new dress. And she had to sit out of the event because she had nothing to wear. And she was like, that made me feel like complete shit. And it made me feel so unattractive and ashamed of my body. And she added that she attended the event and press kept coming over to her and was like, well, why aren't you walking? Because it was advertised that you were supposed to model at this event. And she was like, I didn't want to tell them that, you know, I'm too fat to fit in the dress or the designer didn't think I was attractive enough or skinny enough. So she was like, I just made up some shit off the fly. And I was branded as difficult to work with because of the shit that Michael Costello pulled. So while you're out here dragging Chrissy Teigen for her behavior, there's a little bit of your own that you might want to be mindful of as well. There was another woman, a black designer. Let me find her name. Maxie J. She said she had an encounter with Michael Costello at a fabric store. She said she beat him up. I'm reading from the Jasmine brand, by the way. And Jasmine's from D.C., so shout out to Jasmine. I met her years and years and years ago at a Cocktails with Belle in D.C., but Maxie J, she said of Michael Costello that she beat him up and she almost went to jail after he called her the N-word. Specifically, he called her a nigga bitch, which I was like, oh. So Michael Costello, he says he never used the N-word and he was mad at Chrissy Teigen for blackballing him. Meanwhile, Maxie J says not only did he use the N-word, he used the B-word. He combined them together. So then we get to a statement on behalf of Chrissy Teigen. I have no idea where this statement came from. I'm going to guess like her publicist, which says Chrissy is completely surprised and disappointed by Michael Costello's recent attack, which includes quote unquote screenshots from 2014 of supposed private messages that Chrissy did not send. And this statement goes on to talk about the interactions between Tegan and Costello. This story is exhausting. It's exhausting to tell. My God, to live. Michael Costello responded. He doubled down on what Chrissy had done to him. He also said that he had emails from Tegan to back up his story that he wouldn't be afraid to release. To which Chrissy responds, no idea what the fuck Michael Costello is doing. He just released a statement where he didn't at all acknowledge how fake the DMs were and now claims to have emails that don't exist. So while he conjures those up, blah, 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 blah. Honestly, at this point, Michael Costello and Chrissy Teigen could just go both sit the fuck down somewhere. They're exhausting me with this back and forth. Michael Costello responded again, tripling down on his initial claims. He says he won't be making any more statements that all of this is a nightmare, not just for me, but for his family. 
He apologized to everyone involved in this messy situation and for all the stress and trauma it has caused. He says, much damage has been done on both sides. Everyone is hurting. It's a messy situation for everyone, but I spoke the truth and I have nothing left to say. Moving forward, I am taking a break from social media for my mental health. I hope everyone can respect my privacy and my decision. I won't be commenting further. I don't know who did what. I know Chrissy did some terrible shit, which she's acknowledged doing to a woman or a girl at the time who was 16. Michael Costello, I don't know what, if anything, Chrissy did to him, but I believe Leona Lewis, I believe the black designer who was like, he called me a nigga bitch and I had to beat his ass. I believe her. I'm glad that his poor treatment of two black women came to light. The irony of it is just not lost on me. Like, like you tried to jump in some shit, which it really seems you don't have receipts for. And once the flaws of the DMs were pointed out, I was like, yeah, that's actually kind of true. They didn't have video chat then. And why would Chrissy Teigen spell her own name wrong on Instagram? That's, that's not right. I do think he put out Dr. DMs. I do think Chrissy Teigen might have said some reckless shit because, you know, Chrissy's brand. But I'm like, you hopped out there seemingly on some juicy smoothie type shit. Tried to create some drama for publicity. And then that was determined to be a lie. And then when you jumped out there, people with truth, like Leona Lewis, who bothers no one. Like she was like, no, here's my story. I totally believe her because, you know, trust black women. And then the designer who was like almost beat his ass at a fabric store. That story is so crazy that I believe it. But I was like, you really tried to jump out there with like some fabricated shit. And then met the truth. It's an unfortunate demise. Because he does make really beautiful clothes. I was scrolling through his Instagram. He did this really, really cute dress. But he really does know how to like flatter curves. It's a damn shame that he's going out this way. Very sad. Very sad. Oh, well. Oh, well. Last but not least, I want to talk about this piece with Rachel Lindsay that came out in Vulture this morning. Rachel Lindsay, the, the first black bachelorette. And there's really not too much to say. It's very, like, straightforward and to the point. If you've ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes of reality shows, I talk about it sometimes. I've never really gone into, like, super depth of the manufacturing of the shows and the relationships with producers and you know basically how it's all manipulated. But Rachel goes in in a very, very lengthy first person essay for Vulture. She talks about her experience being the first black lead on the show. And she gives all the details, like why someone who is a successful lawyer would agree to go on the show. Short version, she had a bad breakup that left her head spinning. She was willing to try anything, including going on a reality show. But she talks a lot about her experience as a black woman on The Bachelorette and just how fucked up it was. She's hinted at a lot of negativity that happened with her being the first black woman. Previously, she'd said that they casted black men on the show that didn't date black women. She was like, and that's, that's traumatizing. But for the, the very white franchise, for the very white producers... It was just, you know, it was story. And she was like, yeah, like you're looking for story, but like I got to like live this. So she talks about a lot of things that went on behind the show. She goes in much, much detail. It's a worthy, worthy read. My mouth didn't hang open, but I think only because I have an experience 
doing reality TV. So I'm familiar with a lot of things that she said. But I think if you're not familiar, you would be like, wait, they did what? But she talks basically how she got the short end of the stick, how a lot of what was portrayed just wasn't what it was. She talks about the, the, the depictions of white women on the show versus her depiction, how the show just completely mishandled race. That Chris Harrison interview, she shares her thoughts during the interview very in-depth. But basically what she says is, I tried to give the experience like a good gung-ho. I tried to put my best foot forward and it just didn't work out for me. It's a very frank piece. It's very, um, not sad, not defeatist, but just kind of like I did my best. And I, I stepped into a situation where black women weren't represented and I wanted to be the face of that representation. It was way more than I bargained for um, and way more fucked up than I could manage. And so I stepped back. Even if you've never done a reality show, I think if you've been the first black person in a new space, or you've been the only black person in a space, I think it would be very, very relatable. Like I read the piece and I just really, I mean, I already liked Rachel from when she was on the show, but like, I really just wanted to like give her a hug. She tried, she tried hard. She wanted to create change. And she was like, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't. So we'll get to that Adichie essay. Maybe next week. We may not even cover it. I know I said I would, but like, seriously, it's just draining. Every time I try to think about like all the levels to that essay, but we'll figure it out. It just may be a minute. Work with me here. So that is the episode for this week. Thank you as always for listening. If you have not picked up your Don't Waste Your Pretty merch on my website, DemetriaLLucas.com, please do. Please do. And send me a picture. I would love to see you in your Don't Waste Your Pretty T's and V's and with your mugs. It makes me very happy when you share. So if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and next week, if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday, please follow me on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook. Who knows? Who knows? It seems everything I write gets banned these days. So... I may have to get off Facebook. Like this reckless banning is driving me up a wall. I get way more done when I can't post to Facebook. But still, still, like if you're going to ban me, like I say a lot of reckless things, they probably should have got me banned. But I was like, this? This? The last two? Really? Yeah. So we'll talk again on Friday, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Talk soon. Bye.